Let's turn together to Psalm number 113. Psalm 113 as we continue our look at these psalms. And tonight we're, we, we've looked at, uh, in the last few weeks, Psalm 110, 11, and 12. And tonight we're going to begin uh, uh, Psalm 113. We're looking at the, the Hallel Psalms, uh, Psalm 113 to Psalm uh, 118. And then we're going to look at the Psalms of Ascent. So that will be uh, occupy our time now for the next uh, number of, uh, of months. And uh, tonight we're going to begin our look at the Hallel Psalms, which uh, you'll recognize the word Hallel from Hallelujah, which means praise to God. They, this section of hymns were called the Egyptian Hallel because they were sung around the Passover time. And the Passover time, you remember, um, was the time that the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. And so these psalms were sung uh, to celebrate that occasion. And uh, it is likely that Jesus and his disciples sang one of these psalms, in all likelihood, Psalm 118, uh, the night of the Passover, uh, which is extraordinary because that psalm in particular prophesies the rejection of Jesus by the leaders and the, the stone becoming the head of the corner. And Lord willing, uh, we will see that in a number of weeks. But we, you, you see the, the wondrous ways of God. Psalm 118 also says, this is the Lord's doing and wondrous in our eyes. That ought to be our spirit. That ought to be our conclusions as we come out from hearing the Word of God, as we spend time on Sundays, as we spend time through the week, this is the doing of the Lord and wondrous in our eyes. Not just in biblical history, but in our lives as we rehearse the things that we've gone through, as we will look back at, at perhaps at some time over our lives and say, this is the doing of the Lord and it is wondrous in our eyes. And that is what the, the Hillel Psalms, the Psalms which praise the Lord, and almost all of them, perhaps apart from Psalm 114, start with that or have that as its theme. Praise to the Lord. And it's not just simply uh, religious sentiment, false religious sentiment, something that someone wrote down. But this is arising out of real experiences real lived experiences where people, uh, the, the children of Israel, knew of God's deliverance in their lives. None of these things were written in an ivory tower. And uh, so many of the Psalms, don't they? They have inscriptions over them. A Psalm of David when he fled from Saul. And, and many other um, uh, inscriptions over these Psalms to show that they're rooted in real experience. And that, when we look at these Psalms and when we look at biblical history through the lens then of the Gospel, then we are able to sing a new song to the Lord. We're able to go back to these Psalms and not having to write new songs, but to sing a new song, the old songs in a new way, with new eyes. Uh, 
with new realization, as I'm sure the early church did, they went back and they saw Jesus everywhere. And they saw Jesus in the Psalms. And hopefully we're able to do that tonight with this psalm. But this psalm in particular celebrates uh, the, the majestic, sovereign God who is over history, over the universe, over the affairs of people, and but yet takes notice of those who are humble and lowly. Let's read it together. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, 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 Sorry, from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks uh, far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her, jo- her, her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So the psalm, as the Hallel Psalms typically do, begin with this uh, a call. Call to worship. Uh, uh, impressing upon the people of God. Uh, those with whom God has made His covenant. A covenant of blood. And, and again, we're, we, we cannot just see that through, the, through uh, an Old Testament uh, uh, vantage point. We must come at these Psalms we, as we must come at the whole Bible from the perspective of the Gospel. Those whom God has made a covenant with of covenant of blood. And we see it not only with the, the blood of animals, but the blood of the Son of God. And it is in, at that level that we are called upon to come and to worship the Lord. And so he begins, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. That is who we are. That is who we are. We just sang in, uh, in the 70th paraphrase. Uh, it, it, it talks there about who we are, what our identity is now. From all nations, tongues, and peoples, you have made them priests for God. Called to be His faithful servants. Kings through all the earth abroad. That's who we are. That's our identity. As, and that makes what we're doing here so important. And why it's so incumbent upon the church to uh, recognize its calling again. That we are, have been called to be priests unto God. To offer up sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, each and every day. And so it's giving this mandate to the servants of the Lord. That's you and I. That we might praise the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord, of course, is all the, the characteristics of God, all the ways in which God has made Himself known. And that is shot throughout the Bible, isn't it? We read 
uh, of uh, the visitation of the angel to Mary. He shall be called the Son of the Most High. And God shall give him the throne of his father David. He will be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's he's talking about the, the name of the Lord. How he reveals himself. His divine attributes. And again, it's not simply coming at it from an ivory tower from simply a a systematic theology kind of presentation. But this is how God has revealed Himself in history. The name of God. God's wisdom. in, In being the architect of the cross. The architect of salvation. That He might be just and the justifier of those who believe in Christ Jesus. That God can be absolutely just while still condemning our sin. That in wisdom He made the world. That by He upholds all things by the word of His power. That He has done all this for the glory of His name. To magnify His name. To magnify His love, His wisdom, His justice. All of these things. And that is what the psalmist is calling uh, uh, upon them to do. Because they are particular recipients. They have engaged in that name. Not just some, uh, uh, as a person may see a sunset and say, that, that's a beautiful sunset. It's outside of them. But we have been, as God's people, physically and spiritually engaged with the name of God. His power in raising us from the dead. His love. His mercy. All of these things we have enjoyed ourselves. The psalmist looked at his body and said, you know, uh, he, he was amazed at how God put his body together. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are living embodiments and reflections of the name of God. And so there's a direct uh, call here at the beginning that the servants of the Lord are to praise Him. Not academics. Not those who are super educated, but all the servants of the Lord, low and high, Male and female, rich and poor, educated and uneducated. Those who have been impacted directly in their heart and mind by God's name. And that's uh, uh, what we are called to do. That's who we are. That's our highest calling in life. And we often lose sight of that. It's not to make money. It's to... It's to know Him and to seek His kingdom and to reflect the glory of His name in all that we do. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. One commentator said it's more than just flattery, but it's responding to what we know of God through His character and actions. 
And much of this psalm is echoed in other places, like the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, and in the song, Hannah's song, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Again, two women who were directly impacted by the name of God. His mercy, His compassion, His power, His wisdom, all of these things. His faithfulness. Mary sings of the faithfulness of the Lord. Uh, the promises that He made to Abraham that were now all coming true. And so it was something that Mary and Hannah and all servants of God have done instinctively to praise the name of the Lord. This is what comes pouring out of them. The name of God. When, this, when the, the disciples were oppressed by Herod and Pontius Pilate and they gather together for prayer, out of them comes the praise of God's name. You are the God that made the heavens and the earth. All of these things, it just comes pouring out of them. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And so God's name is to be praised in time and in space. From this time forth and forevermore. Paul says in Ephesians, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see, as time goes on, as revelation begins to continues to unfold through biblical history, isn't it amazing that the same themes remain the same? That God's glory is, is undiminished. but indeed is accentuated. That those themes continue to rise like a great symphony until they reach a great crescendo in the Lord Jesus Christ where you find in the book of Revelation all these themes come and crowding together where God's glory is manifest in the Lamb who was slain. So, His praise endures throughout all generations and in all places. From the rising of the sun to where it sets, to, to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So throughout time and space, God is to be worshipped. And this is combined then in a psalm like Psalm 72. All kings shall fall down before Him. All nations shall serve Him. It will be universal. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And His name shall endure forever. Last like the sun it shall. Here again you have those two ideas of time and space converging together. We find this uh, 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 in on the day of Pentecost when preach, Peter preaches and when all, all the nations of the known world were gathered there, Parthians, Medes, Edomites, all these people from all over the known world were gathered together to hear the great works of God in their own language. It's incredible. 
And there on that great day, in a kind of a microcosm, you're seeing the fulfillment of what the psalmist is talking about here. And then he'll go on to talk about the Lord is high above the nations. But here, he's, he, he talks about the universal praise of God. Even before that, as Jesus is moving toward the cross, and it says the Gentiles came and they asked Andrew, we would see Jesus. We want to see Him. The nations were asking for Him. They were beginning to inquire. And at that moment, Jesus points away to the cross. He begins to talk about what needed to be affected, what needed to happen, what needed to be accomplished for those nations who are now inquiring after Him to be brought in. So He calls them to worship. Calls them to worship in all times, forever and in all places, from the rising of the sun to where it sets. And then secondly, He talks about the cause of worship. Verse 4, The Lord is high above the nations and His glory above the heavens. We see a couple of things here in verses 4 and 5. We see the transcendence of God, the exaltation of God. And then in verse 5, we'll see the, the imminence of God, that God is near. That God can be both these things at the same time. He can fill the heavens. He can be in all places at the same time. And yet, be close to those who are of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He can be incredibly near. He can be nearer than any one of you and I can be to one another. That's the glory of our God. He is, he is exalted above the nations. And this, this is language that we often hear. And we don't realize that in the context of the day, people thought of gods being national gods or local gods, local idols. But Israel's God was more than that. He was the God exalted above the nations. Over all the nations. And again, it's not simply uh, ivory tower poetry that he's uh, 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 giving us here. But he need only look back in the history of Israel. And this psalm, by all accounts, is a post-exilic psalm, a psalm that was written after they had come back from exile. So they had a lot of history behind them to show that God was exalted above the nations. Well, what examples could he think of? Well, he could go back to how God confused the languages at Babel. How he, he came to Egypt and he judged the Egyptians that he might let his people go, that they might worship him. We can think of his uh, uh, delivering them out of the hands of the nations when they cried out to him in the time of the judges. When David won victories and battles over the Philistines and the Moabites and all these nations, he was exalted over the nations. And if this is indeed 
as many claim that it's a post-exilic psalm, that they could see how God had brought them back into the land from which they had been exiled for 70 years. And so unlike the local, national, man-made gods of the nations, God shows that He is exalted above them, that He transcends national borders in order to accomplish His purposes. In fact, He uses these very same people, like Pharaoh, I have raised him up for this purpose, that I might show my power in him. Or Cyrus, my servant, he will do my bidding. And on and on it goes. Even humble Mary and Joseph, who were, uh, who were taxed, brought down from Nazareth, how did God get them down there? In the reign of Caesar Augustus, there was a, a time of taxation. What a wonderful thing. Who did it? Who brought it about? Just to get that young couple from, there up, uh, from, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Taxation. God was moving in the nations. And He is exalted over the nations tonight. And we can thank Him for that. Then the people of God don't need to be afraid of this nation or that nation. We don't need uh, uh, to be unduly worried as many people are. And sometimes we can get caught up in that, can't we? If we watch the news too much or if we listen to the, 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 these uh, prophets of doom too much and we, get, we, we forget. And it's our calling to remember that God is exalted above the nations. That's part of our praise, isn't it? When we come into disabled church every week, we're not to say, oh, the world is out of control. And where are we going? And I'm afraid. And this, that, and the other. But as the psalmist, they look back. And with praise and wonder, they say, our God is exalted above the nations. He does according to His will among the armies of heaven and the sons of men. And as the years go on, His glory only increases. It does not diminish. That's why he says in Isaiah 40, Behold, behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. There's no place over which God does not hold absolute dominion. Whether it's Egypt, or Babylon, or Persia, or Rome, or Canada today. He is exalted. That's part of His praise. The Lord is exalted above the nations and His glory above the heavens. And then He goes on in verse 5, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high who looks down on the heavens and the earth. He is exalted above the heavens and yet He is imminent. He is close. You think of Allah in Islam. That's not part of His glory to be imminent. He's far off and distant. And he has nothing to do really with His people. There's just this slavish submission to the will of Allah. There's no tenderness. There's no singing of His praises, of His love and His mercy and His goodness in that way. 
But the psalmist says here, who is like the Lord our God? Who looks down. The word there is to, 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 to stoop down on the heavens and the earth. God, as it were, lowers Himself. He condescends to His creation to care for the world that He has made. And to do more than that, to, to redeem the world that He has made. Micah said as much, and we opened with that in our call to worship. Micah, whose name means, who is like the Lord? And he ends by saying, who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. In other words, Micah is enthralled with the the God that is so merciful to the people of Israel. Who is a God like you? No human mind in all the history of the world up until the time Micah wrote could ever come close to a God like the God of Israel. Who is a God like you? When he compares them to the gods and the idols of the nations, he says, they're idols dumb. they're, They're powerless. They have to be lifted from this place to that place. But our God is the God by whom the heavens were made. Who dwells in unapproachable light and yet stoops down to see the affairs of the sons of men. And so that, again, that that sense of wonder, that sense of the fact that God is exalted and glorious and yet is entirely imminent is a theme that continues throughout the Bible. Paul, as he's reflecting on the greatness of God and the, the work of salvation, he says, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. not God's glory is not diminished but is it's accentuated and the angels themselves are continually finding new reasons every day to cry out holy they can't stop because each day brings a new discovery of how exalted and other God is from them will heaven be boring <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We will go on to fresh new discoveries of how awesome and exalted God is. Every day, there will be this sense of wonder in us. Oh God, You are exalted above the nations. You are exalted above the heavens. Your glory is... How holy You are. How pure You are. How great You are. How wise You are. It will never get old. Isn't that wonderful? That we'll never reach the depths. That's why Paul felt himself like a little child 
out in the deep under with deep water beneath him. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who is like our God who is seated on high, who looks down far on the heavens and the earth, looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor. This is what he does when he stoops down, when he looks down. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He raises the poor from the dust. What, what a, a distance, right? Look at, look at what he says in 4 and 5. The Lord is high above the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord who is seated on high? And yet, who is He interested in? Who does He come for? But those who are in the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Those who forage around. You see these people in the world, in Brazil and in South America and other parts of the world, on the garbage heaps. And we've been hearing about that uh, from the uh, folks who went over to Ethiopia, the Slizzes, as they, as they came back with pictures of men and women and children foraging through mountains of garbage. Coming back with little plastic bottles and you get a great, big, huge bag of plastic bottles and you might sell them for a couple of dollars. That's who the God of the universe came for. Those who, are, who, who dwell in the dust. Those who, who dwell in the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And though He is this great transcendent God, yet He comes and He acts directly in this world of which we are a part. And he engages in this great reversal. That's part of his glory, isn't it? He lifts the poor out of the ash heap. And that, Jesus tells these parables like Lazarus and the, the, Lazarus and the rich man where Lazarus was at his gate and the dogs came along and licked his sores. And he was such a pathetic character. And yet when he died, he was carried to, the, to Abraham's bosom. You have the thief on the cross who was completely found to be without any righteousness, who at just moments before had been condemning Jesus with the other thief, but coming to his senses, by God's grace, he cries out, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, you will be with me this day in paradise. You will be with me. Not in some far off part of heaven. You will be with me this day. Not way down the line, not years from now, but this day in paradise. That's what this psalm is celebrating. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And as we move into the, the New Testament, we see the full degree to which Jesus went to bring that about. In fact, Jack was opening up that so wonderfully last week when he talked about the, the valley of the dry bones, bleached white, dead, gone, helpless, hopeless. 
And it is here where God was pleased to show His glory and not only raising them up bone to bone, flesh to flesh, but bringing them back into the nation, but forecasting the great work of the Gospel that Jesus would do as He reaches down, as He comes down, He stoops down. How He stooped down. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, as it were, His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what it took. This is what it meant for Jesus to look down, to stoop down. This is how His glory was manifest. Paul tells us as much in in, uh, uh, Philippians, in that great passage in uh, chapter 2, in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what it took for God to stoop down, to look down, to engage with those in the dust, those on the ash heap. And it's really a way of describing what we are by nature. How forlorn we are, how helpless we are. And just as was described verse last week, bones, dead, bleached, helpless. Paul talks about in, in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air. And again, it gives us that sense of, of the degree to which we have been brought. Dead in trespasses and sins. But then verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our action. This is the dust for us. Dead in trespasses and sin. But this is what it took for God to bring us out of that. God taking upon Himself flesh, humbling Himself unto death, unto uh, uh, unto death, even the death of the cross. It wasn't, in other words, just any kind of death. It was the death of the cross which, had, which brought all the covenant curses of God. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Or as Paul says again, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Here he was rich. Here's his riches. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is, who is seated on high? That's Jesus he's talking about there. That's the Son of God as well as all the, the, the Trinity. It's God's glory. But he lays aside his outward glory. Lays aside his outward prerogatives of God as, and yet stays and remains God himself. 
to redeem us. Or as Paul wondrously said, He was made sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Is it any wonder that we, more than the psalmist, can say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Or the Lord is my shepherd. These things take on a completely new meaning in the light of the Gospel, do they not? And it's an encouragement to us, no matter how far down we find ourselves, isn't it? No matter how lost we feel we are, no matter how unworthy we feel we are, God knows. And that's why He uses this language, dust and ashes. You can't get any more dead than that, can you? Ashes are things that have been, usefulness is completely gone. Everything's been burned up. There's nothing good left in ashes. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And so we, we need not despair. Jesus says, did I not say if you only believed you would see the glory of God? We can't let the devil get a foothold by saying that we're beyond God's grace. God's grace is greater than our sin. Greater than all of our sin. His grace is greater. His mercy is more. As that beautiful new song says, our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. He raises the poor from the... to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. Again, there is this great role reversal. But God, who is rich in mercy, says Paul, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, there's that role reversal where the Lord confers upon us royal status. Children of the King. Crowned with the crown of, of His righteousness as Paul talks about. Seated us, he seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And then finally in verse 9, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. This again, you can see the themes there of Hannah and how all of those episodes in the people of God continue to not be left behind, but they, they connect with one another as they move forward. It just gets greater and greater and those smaller themes earlier on in the life of God's people begin to build and build until you get to Mary who, who, who again uh, picks up on all of these themes and Hannah's song. How God deals with these women in terms of their children in order to bring forward the promises of God and the promises that He made to Abraham. One has said that those singing the psalm after the exile 
would recall these things. The Jews had been humbled to the dust. They had become barren, and yet God visited them. The God who was enthroned on high has not forgotten them, and He has not forgotten us. And so Israel will be uh, with her children restored. And that, that is pictured there in the coming back of the people of God to uh, the land. And so as the psalm begins with praise, it ends with praise. Praise the Lord. And so friends, this is, a, this is not simply a description of who God is and what God has done. But it's a mandate for us now. The God who brings us out of the ash heap, who fills our life with fruitfulness. That's, that's the part of the idea behind He gives the barren woman a home. That's not the experience of, uh, of many of us. 50% of us are men. Uh, and not all women are, have that affliction. But we are all afflicted with that sense of barrenness in our lives without God. And as God dealt in a blessed way with His people Israel, in making them fruitful and bringing them back to the land and restoring their fortunes, so He continues to do with the church. In adding unto her number children, in making her fruitful. And that's, that's the idea there in Isaiah 54. Stretch out the tents. Stretch out the boundaries of the tents. For greater is the children of the barren woman than the children of the, 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 the woman who could bear children. All of these things taken together remind us that God's, God will be glorified in your life and my life. That He has a plan for us to magnify His name in our lives. And that we might be fruitful uh, to His glory. So it's not just a description of God's character and His actions, but it's a mandate, it's a calling for the people of God to do exactly what the psalm begins and ends with, and that is to praise His glorious name. Well, let's pray.